Welcome to the Landco Podcast, an analytical behind-the-scenes look into land investing and land ownership, covering marketing conditions, current inventory, and updates on all relevant land ownership issues here in Illinois, mixed in with some timely hunting and fishing reports. Hey guys, welcome back to the Landco Podcast. Back at it with the, uh, another episode of the top 10 ways to increase the value and enjoyment of your farm. Uh, the last one we did was prairie grasses. Now we are on to number seven, which is food plots. Here again with Ryan Pudick. And format simple. If you haven't heard these, we go through the basics um, of what they are. We, we just answer, answer the simple questions. What they are, why you do it, when you do it, uh, where uh, on your farm, and how. So we'll roll through all those. Um, we'll try to keep it somewhat short. Uh, the last one went a little long, but uh, we'll do the best we can. So this one probably even more so than last is incredibly broad because Ryan, you again, Ryan probably on this one knows more than I do because he's more uh, leaning towards the recreational um, benefits of farms. But when I think of a food plot, I think of literally anything that provides a nutritional value to any wildlife, whatever your goal is. That's pretty broad, but is that fair? Yeah. I would say so. And again, it's what we've talked about multiple times already, what your goals are yeah. for your farm. If you're a strictly a, a deer hunter that wants to see a lot of deer, or are you a deer hunter that wants to just try to harvest a mature animal? Um, maybe you're maybe you're just a turkey hunter and you want to put a turkey plot in, yep. uh, for instance. So again, it's all uh, depends on what you want to do with your individual farm and what your likes and goals are. So let's go through some of that stuff because the next one is why would you do it? And to me, that is also a simple answer. It is to, well, a few things. Number one, increase the carrying capacity or the holding capacity of whatever that food plot is going to serve. You know, so the best and easiest example for me is like if you do a dove food plot, a good proper one, you can have thousands of doves where if you don't do anything, you could have none. Correct. Right? Yes. And so that's an extreme example. Deer is a little different. You know, we're Illinois, you always hear people talk about, oh, that one's a good deer farm, that one's a bad deer farm. And there may be some that are others, but if you have a farm in Illinois, you're going to have deer. You're going to have deer. But yeah. you put in a food plot, now you're holding more deer. So that's the case with me for at least the way I rationalize it with whatever the food plot is for, you do it to attract wildlife. Um, and then secondly, which is a lot of the case for what we do, is to increase the, not only like hunting opportunities, but even more specifically like the harvest opportunities. So we've done, um, well, your farm specifically, a lot of the food plots are to just give the deer food throughout the winter, but those have a different strategy than like your kill plots. Correct. Right? Yeah, we've got destination plots that will feed the deer um all year round, you know, for instance, you know, and, and we don't have to worry about the summer months because, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of acres that are planted in corn and beans across the state of Illinois. But come November, December, January, February, March, you know, food starts to dwindle. And especially January, February, March, unless, you know, the deer have got these pots to go to to survive 
Um, granted, we don't have the winters like we used to. And, you know, I would say in the last 10 to 15 years, food plots are a big, a big trend these days. And, you know, everybody's like, well, what did the deer do before food plots? They got by. Yes, I understand that. But if you, as a deer manager, like I am, um, I want to grow big deer. I want to, I want to give back to the deer as much as I possibly can to get them through these times. And, uh, and it's no different with ducks and geese. You know, we plant the millets and the buckwheats and the corn and flood them. And yes, we do shoot them for 60 days. But after that, the, whatever food is left over is helping those ducks get through our winters. And on the way back. And on the way back. Exactly. So that's why you do it. And usually we talk about deer. I'll talk about ducks, but it could be anything. I, I love dove plots outside of, well, if I could only pick one day to hunt, it would be opening day. Opening dove day season. of dust season. Is last it, season was awful, but the, it's still fun. It's still fun. You get a bunch of your friends or clients or just anybody that you can get to come out to the field and, and, and you go out, you have some fun for a few hours. You come back, you grill out on the grill, have a few beers, and it, it's one of the greatest days it's of the awesome. year. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So it's almost. Food plots are almost like, if you equate it to like fishing, you know, people put those fish attractors down there, they'll have fish feeders. It's attracting those fish to a certain area, no different than a food plot. You're doing something to provide nutritional value and they're- And it's rewarding. It's like you, you put, you use the fish attractors as an example. You put, you, you went out and you spent $500 on fish attractors. You say, you went out in your lake or a lake and sunk them, and then you go back there two weeks later, three weeks later, or a month later, whatever, and you catch a five-pound bass out of those fish attractors. It's so rewarding. You put a food plot in, you watch it grow, you sit, you're sitting out there in uh, the second shotgun season of Illinois is usually the first week of December, and you've got 30 deer in your food plot, or, or maybe there's only 10 in your food plot because it's only a half an acre, uh, but the reward factor is so huge when you see, see that work. Yeah, and you... Whether you I, shoot one or not. I agree. And most people that are first-time land owners or investors don't anticipate that. But I'll tell you, like, we're, we're filming these or recording these out at my personal farm. And we have, what, three, four wetlands. Mm-hmm. And I get more enjoyment out of watching them than I do shooting them. Like, I'll sit, we can see mine from my lodge here. I'll sit there at night. I mean, the last two, three years, there's nights where thousands pour in. And it is cool to be like, they are here because of me. So anti-hunters, you'll get a lot of kind of backlash. Oh, you're doing that to bring them in to shoot them. It's like, well, sort of. I get that. But we're also helping that population. It, that's Correct. a different story. But yeah, the, the uh, reward, kind of mental, emotional reward for doing that stuff, it's very cool. Very cool. So... That's why you do it when, this is probably a question for you, but fall, spring, depending on what specific food plot. Yeah. If, uh, you know, if you're going to do it, let's say an alfalfa or a clover, uh, for instance, I like to do those in the spring. Obviously your, your corn and beans are, you know, in the spring, early summer, uh, up till, you know, June 15th, uh, at the very, very latest. Um, but then I've had a lot of, a lot of success uh, if we're getting the rains after August 15th of putting in some fall food plots being such as your winter greens, your turnips, radishes, uh, those types of things, uh, we put in after August 15th and, um, or buck forage oats, for instance, same way. And 
the reward on those fall food plots has been in the last few years very very good uh, but like i said there's nothing better than uh, beans in the winter. Uh, January, late season, descent, late December, beans are about as good as it gets. Uh, just about the same as corn. Uh, mm-hmm. Beans, beans just add give more nutrition back to the deer than what a corn what the corn does. Uh, the corn's more of a carbohydrate, I believe, than uh, in the in the beans provide more protein. Um, but you can't really go wrong. But it just depends on what you want to do. You know, if, if you've got a farmer doing it for you, uh, chances are you're going to do most of your stuff in the spring. Um, if you've got access to equipment um, and, and can do it yourself, you can uh, do it in the fall. Um, and don't, it's not like you have to have a tractor to, to be able to get to these areas. A lot of these companies now are making a special blend of seed to where if you just went in there with a rake and maybe a small garden tiller and just did a little little half acre plot around one of your stands, uh, that that stuff will grow now. Yeah, all you're looking for is seed soil contact. Correct. You can get that anywhere. It's not gonna be huge, but um, every little bit helps. Um, even, you know, we've talked about this, some of the clubs that we've, uh, waterfowl clubs that we've managed, there's times when you cannot, you can't even walk there at so many. Fly over, spread some millet, see mm-hmm. how much grows. So uh, as far as when to plant it, I mean, you could even almost, almost any time um, outside of the freezing months, because we'll plant, for the geese, we'll plant winter wheat or experimented with that uh, cereal rye stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll plant that into what, mid-October? Yeah. So uh, all year long, but again, it's very, very similar to the rest of the stuff we're talking about. It depends on your goals. Um, I think more and more people have a conception that Illinois land buyers buy land to shoot a trophy deer, which still happens, but most of our buyers, they want a well-rounded farm the whole family can enjoy. And so... We end up planting food plots of all kinds and not just your corn and beans for deer. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of when, it is a year-long process depending on the, the goal uh, and the type of animal that you want to, or bird that you want to attract. So, uh, where? We covered that a little bit. Sort of similar to the prairie grasses, maybe not as much. You know, those prairie grasses, we talk about planting it with the dozer tracks. That's probably not the case as much for these um, maybe for clover, I guess, but as long as you could, it's flat enough and you can get there with some piece of equipment, you could plant it. Um, we plant stuff that, you know, a farmer wouldn't plant because it's a little too steep, but obviously the better stand you get, the better, but anything works. I mean, sorghum we've planted on the hillsides because, oh, yeah. and it grows and it's fine. Uh, so anywhere that you can get a tractor, and like you said, you can plant it, yeah, right? and and you don't have to. If it's a, a little opening in a in a piece of timber that gets enough sunlight, you can do it with a small garden tiller and a rake and broadcast it on, and, and you're done. Um, and the one thing I would touch on that we talked about earlier is that there, you you can look at these food plots as two different uh, scenarios. I use the word destination food plots. Those are your ones that the deer go out to feed in and are safe out there and not say that you can't hunt them, but those are, those are kind of the food plots you just let the deer go eat and so on and so forth. And then you've got where I call your kill plots, which are your little isolated half acre, one acre plots before they get out to the destination. So if you're fortunate to have enough land to be able to do that, um, that's a whole nother scenario. Yeah. Okay. Um, how... 
There's again more you. I do this a little bit, but not to the extent that Ryan does. So I know that it entirely depends on what you're planting and for what, but in general, um, it is a little more involved than people think if you want a good stand. I mean, you could, you know, we know people that have just came out and broadcast some clover onto a, you know, a pasture and some clover grows, which is fine. But if you're looking for a plot that is going to look good, show the property well, you're talking what? Spraying to kill any sod? No, uh, you've got it. First, you'd want to do is a soil sample and yeah. have that sent in. Um, and they'll analyze your soil and they'll tell you what you need for fertilizer, what you need for lime. Uh, if you need lime, you know, the, they check the pH of the, of the soil. And if you need lime, then you can buy some pelletized lime and put on there. Um, or have your local co-op come out if you've got a lot of acres and they'll spread it. Um, and then you got to do all the preparation. You need to spray everything. You need to work the ground uh, so that when you go to plant the, the seed that you get the good seed to soil contact. And, um, you know, this is more for your types of uh, food plots, such as your clovers, your radishes, your turnips. You know, there's a hundred different companies out there right now putting out seed uh, for, for food plot seed. Um, the same goes for your corn and beans. Uh, but like you said, your corn and beans are going to be planted in that April and May uh, time frame where some of the stuff can be planted in in early to mid-August to late August. Yeah. Uh, so again, it's uh, what do you want to attract and what are your goals? Yep. So again, we do all that. If you have a farmer and he'll do some of it for you, a lot of times you can get those guys to throw in some work as part of their farm agreement. Usually that's easier once they're past their planting season. So come back and, and plant something in June, July. But um, And you say we plant corn and beans early and usually do because your farmer does that for you. But we've planted some of those eagle seed beans up until like we planted them early July once. Okay. And those things were... And those are maybe a little different because that's a forage. That's a forage beans. There's two companies that are making them right now, and it's Eagle Seed and uh, Real World. And uh, we've switched all of our stuff over to Real World uh, on our forage beans because we've we have found out that uh, um, they're they're just they're just better, and they're they're not they don't shatter. So what happens with a bean later in the season is they'll start shattering out of their pods. Uh, a regular production bean. Yeah. Uh, so you know, for me, for instance. I might leave some standing beans that are my production beans, but those beans aren't near as good this time of year as the forage beans because those have been uh, developed to be shatter resistant. And so there's more beans in the pod. Uh, there's more beans on a stalk, if you will, uh, or more pods on a stalk. And so there's more food for the deer. Um, so I, we have switched everything over bean-wise to real world for uh, our bean food plots for the deer. And, and the, so those, they do provide, it sounds like those provide more actual pods than an eagle seed. Eagle seed doesn't, it didn't, at least for us, it didn't seem to put on a ton of actual pods, uh -huh. but the leaves on those things are yes. enormous. Yeah, they and are. they grow, some they of were stuff was four, six, five, six yeah. foot tall, yeah. And uh, we used to see, deer walk through production beans early, early when they're looking for those. the leaves yeah. they would walk through production beans to get to those forage beans so again depending and on what and, and that's what the the landowner needs to do is his own research on what what works for them and and do a little bit of studying on the different seeds that are out there like i said there's hundreds of food food plot yeah. companies now putting out 
and most of them put out a good product. It just depends on what you want uh, to use for any given year. Um, and the same way it goes with the beans. And, you know, corn is, uh, there could be an argument about that. I just, we just use regular production corn and that's what we use and and it works. So, um, but the beans, you know, there's different, different maturities just like there is for corn on beans, uh, you can get you know like a group four bean that's going to mature late late Stay in the year until in, November. Right, yeah. exactly. Probably before November they'll be yeah. brown, but uh, usually by October first, your beans are all brown. Yeah. And the later maturity, then they will stay green for that first part of the season for yeah. you. One other thing that I would add, and you tell me if this is wrong, because I again I'm I don't chase the deer anymore like I used to, but. It seems like different food sources work better in different parts of the Midwest. And sometimes that's experimenting to see what works on your farm. But we came, Ryan's always hunted Illinois, Missouri, everywhere. But I came from hunting Missouri primarily. And we would plant that biologic stuff when it first mm-hmm. came out. Biologic maximum was That big red hot, stuff. Yes. And yeah. deer would walk from anywhere through corn, through beans to get there. Yep. We bought our first farm here in Illinois and planted it. It's like they didn't all, know what it was. <laughs> yeah, they're all out in the corn and beans, yeah. and um, eventually we found ways to make it work later in the winter. But uh, it is a little regional, so there's no magic formula. You plant some stuff and see what works on your your particular mm-hmm. farm. I mean, we've messed around with peas, yep. and all sorts of stuff. Sandfoil, uh, which is a, a crop from out west, it's it's uh, it's actually Roundup ready, but it's a it's a crop similar to an alfalfa, uh, but they use it out west in uh, areas of like Wyoming, Montana, and yeah. uh, I planted some of that about five acres of it, and the deer never even touched it. Really? But they would go to the our alfalfa, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't touch the sandfoil. So and we haven't touched too much on upland stuff, but. Uh, in one of our other farms, we plant um, sorghum. Yeah, we plant a lot of sorghum. The deer, they seem to bed in it. I don't think I've ever seen them eat any of that stuff, which I don't know why I think why they'll eat it late. Eat it late. Uh, it's but like in Missouri, if you remember Missouri, they would, they would eat the heads right off the sorghum all, yeah. all the time. So here they don't as much, but they used to bed it in a lot. But for like upland strips, again, we don't have a huge population of pheasant and quail here naturally, but we release a bunch. And they end up staying because we own the food they like. So some yeah. of that, you know, that white head sorghum is cool, but that's just another example of, and we'll do that in rows so we can walk it and hunt it, um, or strips, I should say, you know, what, 60 foot wide mm-hmm. or something. But uh, again, just another example of we need to know your goals before we can tell you the best uh, solution for what we should plant. Um, in terms of, to kind of close it out, because a lot of the stuff we're relating back to the value of your farm because that's you know for us we enjoy this stuff and maybe we buy a personal farm from time to time just to enjoy this stuff but this is our job so we need to make our clients money so it always comes back to the value of doing it why would we do this um, so in terms of food plots it could just increase the uh, you know the wildlife on that farm and the first thing people do when they walk it, if they're looking at it for deer or turkey, like they're looking at sign, they're looking at what's there. So you take a farm like yours where when you, you got it and there was 10 or 15 deer on it, someone could walk that and be like, I don't, I want to kill a deer. This isn't it. But you add all that stuff and now mm-hmm. it fits what they're looking for. Yes. So it increases the, um, 
we always try to relate this to houses because that's what a lot of people understand, especially our new clients. You know, it's like you fix it up so it has more of what people want and it doesn't necessarily bring back immediate value. You know, if you spend three grand on a food plot, it's not going to increase the value of your farm by three grand. Right. But it's going to be more appealing to someone and it's going to sell faster. So especially those guys that don't aren't paying cash for farms and they're they're leveraging them and paying mortgages. It's like time is money. So if you could fix it to sell something six months quicker than it would have if you didn't, that's a big value. So in terms of bringing value to the farm, that's it. It's increasing the, the wildlife value of that farm and the recreational enjoyment kind of speaks Yeah, and whether you hunt it or not, that's beside the point. I mean, this you can do all of this stuff and never never hunt one day on it. And it it's just giving taking care of the wildlife basically yep, for sure so that is uh again we went about 20 minutes we were trying to keep them about 15 but uh close enough so that will wrap it up on the food plot episode of the series top 10 ways to increase the value and enjoyment of your farm uh, we will be back at you um, on number eight which will be brush removal um, i kind of group this brush removal in park area creating kind of like staging park areas while removing some brush. So uh, that's the next one. I appreciate you guys listening and we'll uh, be back at you shortly.